everyone, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Iowa Pharmacy Association's What, Why, and How podcast. My name is Seth Brown, and I am the Director of Public Affairs with IPA, and it is great to join you today. Of course, I'm joined by Brett Barker, the Senior Policy Advisor for IPA. Hi, Brett. Hi, Seth. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, for this podcast, we also have a longtime friend of the show with us, Sue Mears, joining us again to explain the what, why, and how of the latest Board of Pharmacy meeting that took place on Tuesday, January 10th. Sue, it's great to have you on again. Thanks. Great to be here. So before we get into the what, why, and how of the Board's January 10th meeting, Brett and I are going to hog the mic for a moment to provide a brief overview of IPA's priorities uh, for the 2023 legislative session here in Iowa. Uh, the session kicked off this week, so it's been a busy one and uh, very important for, for the folks at IPA. So IPA's Legislative Committee and the Board of Trustees have approved two legislative priorities and a regulatory priority to position the pharmacy profession for advancement, both in the short term and in the long term. First, IPA is taking steps to modernize the Iowa Pharmacy Practice Act. So the Practice Act was last fully updated nearly 40 years ago. And obviously the training and practice of pharmacists has changed drastically in that time. There have been individual changes made to the Practice Act over that time and to keep up with services pharmacists are trained to provide, but each has required legislation and navigating the political process. So this is a, a long and inefficient process that ultimately prevents pharmacists pr to, from providing care to patients that they're trained for, uh, just because they're waiting on the law to change. So, we want to cut red tape in the Practice Act to allow pharmacists to practice at the top of their training. These changes will prevent constant legislation, increase if access to services pharmacists are trained to provide, and maximize the healthcare workforce by attracting pharmacists to Iowa who want to display the range of expertise they have. Brett, do you have anything you'd want to add on that priority? I think it's a really important one for the practice. It's something that, you know, the Practice Act was last overhauled nearly 40 years ago. And while some great things came out of the 1980s, it's time to take a look at where practice has changed since then and, you know, what the training of our great students coming out of the universities in the state, um, what the training they're receiving, make sure they can take care of the patients at the highest level. And ultimately, you know, the Practice Act was really written to control um, from the lens of controlling the supply chain. So it's about brick and mortar locations. It's about tracking drugs through the supply chain, um, really from a community corner drugstore perspective in a lot of ways. And obviously pharmacists are in so many different practice settings today. The PharmD degree has been the standard now for um, coming up on 30 years and a lot of really a lot has changed so we're really excited to take a fresh look at the practice act we're having really positive conversations at the capitol and i'm excited to have things to talk about in addition to pbm so we have multiple topics now um, and so it's exciting to have uh, this on the agenda this session yeah thank you brett and that uh the bit you mentioned about this pharmacy practice act regulating not just the supply chain and the storefront but also the individual you know because of that, it, a lot of the really strict uh, restrictions on the pharmacists uh, spill over and, and you know, that's something that can definitely be fixed and, and prevent access to care. So we want to make sure that we're handling that and, and making that known to legislators. So we can go on to the second one. Um, our second legislative priority will be securing continued funding for Medicaid pharmacy reimbursement. 
as many of you may know, Iowa Medicaid uses a transparent and data-driven system to determine pharmacy reimbursement. The state utilizes a survey conducted by a private firm to gather both product and service cost information. The most recent survey indicated a slight increase in the cost of dispensing a prescription drug under Medicaid. So we'll be fighting to ensure that this cost increase is accounted for, as has been the norm uh, since this model was first adopted in 2012. There's been a, about a 59 cent increase, so about a $1.2 million um, ask under uh, this legislation. So we'll be going uh, through appropriations and making sure that uh, pharmacies are reimbursed for the services they provide under Medicaid. Brett, is there anything you would add on that? Yeah, obviously it's a really important um, issue and I think it was kind of flies under the radar, but Iowa was one of the first states to go to a truly transparent AAC cost plus methodology for Medicaid and a lot of states have followed after that um, because it really helps the state shine transparency on the system. Um, it's transparent to payers, um, it's predictable, it's transparent, it's a lot of the things we talked about last year, transparent, predictable, and fair regarding PBM relationships. And so um, it's something we're going to be spending a lot of time on, making sure that, that the integrity of those surveys um, is maintained through the legislature. Absolutely. And lastly, we'll be ensuring last year's PBM bill is fully enforced through the rulemaking process. The PBM bill placed enforcement authority in the hands of the Iowa Insurance Commissioner uh, so that the division, the Iowa Insurance Division, can collect and analyze complaints from pharmacies uh, relating to PBM practices. The Insurance Division released rules to carry out this function following ongoing collaboration with IPA and other stakeholders. So we encourage our members to submit complaints of abusive PBM practices to the division. More information can be found on our website under the Advocacy tab relating to you know, what type of PBM conduct can be reported, how to report, and any additional information that a pharmacist may need. It's really important that the insurance division has a behind the scenes look at, at what these PBMs are doing uh, to prevent any of uh, the issues that are going on and what the bill was ultimately uh, aimed at, at preventing. And Brett, if you have anything to add here, that, that'd be great. There's a, you obviously worked this issue very closely in the Capitol last session, so your input would be much appreciated. Uh, obviously, there's lots of interest here from members, from stakeholders, from legislators all across the board. It's something that already, you know, show up at the Capitol this week and people are asking about. So um, it's clearly an issue we're going to continue to work on. It's super, uh, it's incredibly important to the future of the profession. It's, incre it's incredibly important to Iowans and the care they receive and the drug prices um, debate. Uh, at the same time, it, number one priority obviously is getting the bill that all of you helped us pass truly across the finish line so that we know it's effective. There's a lot of great things that came out of last year's bill. Um, and we need to make sure that that, that um, is effective and it makes a difference. Obviously, there are other pieces that I'm sure we'll be working on with stakeholders as as they arise this session um, where there's opportunity. Um, but but priority number one is going to be making sure last year's bill is really buttoned up and doing its job. Absolutely, the the work never truly stops, uh, but the rulemaking process is definitely the next step in uh, this effort. Well, Sue, thanks for bearing with us. Let's talk about the board's actions now. Um, Brett, I'll let you kick it off. Sure. 
Um, you know, Sue, the board adopted a rule relating to the Iowa Prescription Monitoring Program. Can you explain what the board did and why did the board take the action it did? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last year during the legislative session, the board had um, a bill relating to the PMP and it was House File 2201. Um, and in that bill, uh, the board had requested that uh, the law change to change the advisory council from being a governor appointed advisory council to being a board appointed committee um, or council. Um, and so this rulemaking is simply laying out those parameters of that advisory council that is now um, a board appointed group. Um, so it, it includes uh, the types of members, the people that will be part of the advisory council, their terms of appointment, what constitutes a quorum, and then the you know, termination of their appointment. Um, so it just kind of gets into the weeds and, and details what that advisory council will look like. Um, and then the other piece of the rulemaking just provides a simple clarification that reporting to the PMP opioid antagonists is only intended to include overdose reversal opioid antagonists. So there'd been kind of some confusion among practitioners who were um, dispensing and using other opioid antagonists as part of just opioid use disorder and questioning whether those dispensing also needed to be reported to the PMP. Um, and the board's response was that no, the intention is that only the opioid reversal um, or the overdose reversal opioid antagonists are to be reported to get that data for where around the state um, overdoses are occurring and, and provide that data to um, the Health and Human Services um, to get them the information that they need around the state. So those are the two um, main components of that rulemaking. It had been um, published back in September. We held a public hearing. No one attended the hearing and no public comments were received, so the board adopted it without any changes and we'll get that filed and then that will be effective here in a couple of months. Great, thanks Sue. This is an important program, so the structure is important to ensure it's, it's most efficient and effective, uh, so we appreciate the board's work on that. Uh, on Tuesday, the board issued a notice of intended action on a rule relating to licensure and military service based on Senate file 2383, uh, which was passed last legislative session. What is this program and how does it relate to pharmacy practice in Iowa? Yeah, so they're really effectively, um, it doesn't result in a lot of real change to the Board of Pharmacy in particular. What that bill did last year, um, in in part with relation to what this rulemaking does is that the law re-added active duty military spouses to a group of people that are eligible for expedited licensure processing. Um, spouses had been included in the law previously and then in 2021 that language got removed and then added back in in 2022. So in response to the 2021 change the board had just updated chapter 33 to remove the term spouse just to clean it up because that's it had been removed from the law. Well, then in 2022, it got added back again. But in reality, all our online license applications and renewal applications still allowed active duty spouse 
applicants to indicate that um, our most of our paper applications still had an opportunity for people to identify if they're the spouse of active duty military um, and effectively our staff was still expediting those applications if they indicated that so like from a process perspective really not much is changing um, we were still expediting those applications even though the law had been changed to say we didn't have to um, but now this is just adding that language back in the rule um, to be in alignment with the law and then the rest of the the language updates are also again just to align with the language in the code that got changed um, but effectively it really won't make any change um, you know any um, licensee or registrant wanting to come to Iowa there there's a really we already have a very simple process the bill last year was intended to remove barriers so that people could come to Iowa and work quickly um, and our um, you know processes for a PSP a PSP could get a, a registration in no time a technician can get a registration in no time even if they're not certified they could at least be a tech trainee and start working um, licensed pharmacists there we have a very efficient process for license transfer through NABP so there really isn't really isn't a whole lot that we have to change from our processes to make it easier for for people to come to Iowa and, and to work in pharmacy. Um, so these amendments are really just aligning with code language and effectively won't make a big difference for us. Thanks, Sue. I was definitely thinking a lot about our license portability discussions we've had in recent House of Delegates and how that fits into that whole discussion too. Um, you know, our last question here is a uh, obvious. There's some history I know with with this topic. You know that brings it into the forefront with a potential rule change. So, can you tell us about the rule relating to the installation operation of automated medication dispensing systems and care facilities? Why the board's considering the action and how it impacts practice? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, AMDS in long-term care has kind of been a, an ongoing. Um, a long-term issue that the board has been asked about for many years. Um, and historically, the um, kind of one impediment besides our rules, um, but AMDS was not allowed in a long-term care um, because of DIA rules that prohibited a care facility from having stock supplies of prescription medications. Um, so, in the last several years, um, we've been in, in communication with DIA, we've been working with them. Um, they've had interest in changing their rule to allow for this. Uh, the board has been interested in moving towards this. Um, and so then, gosh, a couple of years ago now, I think um, a pharmacy out of Minnesota had um, entertained, had come to the board to request waivers and a pilot project to study um, having an AMDS in care facilities in Iowa. And they've been doing this research project uh, for at least a year and a half. It just got renewed, I believe, for another period of time. Um, and so that project has gone well enough that the board was confident that we could take a look at the rules to open that up to allow other pharmacies 
to install and operate AMDS in care facility settings. So they had directed the rules committee to take a look at the rule and come up with um, a proposal. So the rules committee did that and brought this um, draft notice back to the board for them to consider. Um, but the board during the meeting then had a slightly different conversation when they got to this. Um, earlier in the agenda, the board had considered two waiver petitions um, relating to AMDS and the final product verification by a pharmacist for an AMDS in Central Phil pharmacies. The board has seen a number of um, petitions or waiver of this rule um, from various Central Phil operations from various chain entities and the board has been continuing to approve those. Um, given the security um, and the nature of these AMDS programs, they feel confident that um, they could waive that final pharmacist verification when the pharmacist has been involved in loading the product and verifying the product when it's loaded in the AMDS. So in light of that, they felt that more work could be done on the AMDS rules to maybe take a look at that component of the pharmacist final verification in those central fill type situations. So they felt like they shouldn't take action on this AMDS rule. Um, they wanted it to go back to the rules committee to take a broader look at the AMDS rules to incorporate some kind of change relating to that final pharmacist verification piece and then combine it as one rulemaking um, at a future time, at a future date. Very good. You know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then you did mention DIA, which I think gives us an opportunity for a little bit of a bonus discussion with, with listeners. Um, you know, DIA would be the Department of Inspections and Appeals, which in my interactions has been largely because they do regulate nursing homes and nursing facilities and a bunch of things like that in the state. Um, so for those who haven't been following, the Department of Public Health and the Department of uh, Health and Human Services in the state of Iowa have been uh, merging and aligning and reorganizing. And um, I learned this week that part of that plan is potentially to move the licensing functions, professional licensing out of um, its current home over to the Department of Inspections and Appeals. So um, br brand new information, but I think just for listeners, you know, we've been kind of wondering how the, the alignment may affect pharmacy practice in the Board of Pharmacy. And so um, that's something I know we'll be keeping tabs on. I'm sure Sue and the board staff will as well. Yeah, we we got word. We were alerted this week that um, the plan is to, you know, assuming the legislature changes the law, is to move the Division of Professional Licensure and Regulation, which includes the Board of Pharmacy, um, into what would be a new Department of Inspections, Appeals, and Licensing. So yeah, we'll definitely, see how that all goes. definitely a lot of changes going on right now. Um, thank you both for that overview and background, Sue. Special thanks uh, for coming on again to share the actions taken by the board. And uh, thank you listeners for joining us on another episode of the What, Why, and How podcast. We hope you join us again for the next episode to hear about the board's actions. Thank you all. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.